Welcome to the Pregnancy Sickness Support Podcast. Everything you need to know about hypermesis gravidarum and nausea and vomiting in pregnancy with your hosts, Karen and Lindsay. With this podcast, we aim to combine valuable evidence-based information from Karen with Lindsay's personal experience as an HG survivor. We are passionate about raising awareness of hypermesis and nausea and vomiting in pregnancy and supporting women who are or have suffered to know that you are not alone. Welcome to this week's episode of our podcast discussing autism and hyperemesis. Today we're joined by autism rights activists Emma Dalmain and her daughter Cody who experienced HD during her pregnancy. Thank you so much for joining us, it's really nice to see you. Thank you for having us, thank you. Um, so we have a couple of questions that we'd really like to go through with you um, and um, hopefully you can kind of tell us a little bit about your experiences. So can you tell us a little bit about autism? Autism is a neurological difference. It affects the way that um, you communicate and how you perceive communication from others. It can also come hand in hand with sensory issues such as sensitivity to light, sound, um, texture. texture. Yeah. So. Um, they usually need routine, you know, some sort of routine. Unexpected changes can throw us. Um, yeah, we're awesome. Would you mind explaining kind of how autism impacts you and, and also a little bit about yourselves? Um, I am autistic and obviously uh, always have been, always will be. Can't change that. I think uh, a lot of it is I'm very sensory, like the, um, when I was pregnant with my son, feeling him move and stuff was really difficult because it was like invasive. very invasive, yeah, um, as well as being sick. So, but yeah, with my, with me being autistic, I, I like to have things a certain way and obviously being in a big household with lots of other autistic people, it's really difficult to have things a certain way. And um, my two-year-old as well, he likes getting everything out. He does tidy sometimes, but... And, um, Sounds hard to deal with that uncertainty of what they're going to get out, what's it going to look like, What's because children just aren't predictable, are they, really? Yeah. <laughs> but then he has things that he wants a certain way. Yeah. He does his blinds and everything else, so, yeah, we're, we're happy. Yeah. And I wouldn't say autism impacts on my life. I would say the environment around us impacts on my life, so you know, too much sound again, too much light. Um, I found when I'm out in the countryside where there is no, you know, overhead lights and things coming at me all the time, <laughs> it's a lot better. But it's other people that make it hard for us. And so can you tell us a little bit about your experience with hypermesis? It was awful. So I found out I was pregnant when I was 18 at three weeks. So really, really early. I had high premises for 32 weeks and because they induced me uh, five weeks early due to him being small and um, not receiving enough blood to his brain. But uh, during my pregnancy, I was uh, admitted to hospital 28 times in total. Three days each time. They tried, every time I went in there, for the first, like, up to about 16 weeks, I think, I had to go through A&E. So I'd have to sit in A&E and then go through triage and then get, wait for a, a bed or a doctor or whatever. It wasn't until he was classed as a person that I was moved to the early pregnancy unit, but I still have to go through triage there. The only difference is that I was on my own. And then I'd get um, IV to rehydrate me because I was completely dehydrated. 
sometimes I would collapse. I had um, a lot of fainting spells as well. I they tried steroids in my bum, like huge, like big needles in there. Needles. Yeah, I had to get blood thinners because I was constantly yeah. laid down, and they were in my stomach as well. I will say that what we found intolerable was the way she was treated when she was pregnant, especially in the early weeks. I mean, when you found out you were pregnant, it was through going to hospital because she was vomiting constantly. That's yeah. how she found out she was pregnant. And it wasn't until they decided, you know, by the week that Eli was a viable pregnancy that they decided to move her on to the maternity ward each time she'd go in. But otherwise, we were in A&E next to people that were there for mental health crisis, mm -hmm. broken legs, cuts, gashing, and she'd be sitting there in A&E with a little grey cardboard bowl puking, yeah. not even put in the side room. She could have caught any infections yeah. or, or, you know, anything that was in there. It was and, really... Yeah, and I'm just wondering how that was for you, Cody, given that you have, you know, these additional needs around sensory influences and things. How was that for you then? It was... It made it even worse as well. Mm. Plus, I'm diagnosed with anxiety and depression. Okay. So my anxiety was like extremely high, and I'm a when I get anxious, I get sick. So <laughs> it was even worse, and like I've had that for years. So mm. being pregnant and then anxious on top of that, and high premises on top of that, yeah. and being autistic on top of that. Just... That is a lot to deal with, and then having being sat in A and E rather than in a maternity kind yeah. of environment that then, added another layer on yeah the wards that I was put um I was put on were for like my mum said people with broken legs people with like head injuries like it, it just they didn't they weren't specialists in pregnancy let alone high premises mm -hmm. I'd be with like loads of other people who would be like shouting to each other making friends on the ward and i'd be there like oh i'm dying inside can you be quiet like yeah it was, it was really hard and so did any did things improve at all because you said that at a certain point was it 16 weeks when when somebody decided that it was a viable pregnancy and they were going to then put you onto a sort of more maternity based I mean, it, ward. it was a slight improvement it wasn't like the greatest because even then I was I didn't go straight to like the maternity ward there was like an in-between ward the early I think it was for early pregnancies it was just because they were nurses at first and not midwives they just didn't really know what what to how to handle me they didn't have like the pastoral training for that situation as far as I know, I was the only one that had high premises on the ward. So um, they'd come to me and they'd be like, oh, you need to eat. You need to drink. And I'd be like, I can't. I can't oh. at all. And they'd be like, yeah, you, you need to. Um, wow. They said that I was hurting my baby because uh, I was taking anti-sickness meds. And I was 18 with my first baby. I was going to ask, do you think that your age impacted how you were treated? Yeah. There was a lot of um, midwives who were obviously in their 40s and 50s and even 60s and they'd look at me like... Mm. There was a presumption of incompetence. I like to think of myself as fairly smart. Like sometimes, obviously, I can't really get my words out. Um, I do understand what's going on. And a lot of the time when I was in there, I was going through a lot mentally. I didn't come across as capable as I was, but they knew that I was. You mentioned there, Cody, that you were going through quite a lot mentally, that, you know, you, you were diagnosed with anxiety and depression even before high premises. Did you get any support with that during your pregnancy? Yeah, I did. 
I had to um, go to go through Oxley in the end, uh, but they're our local like adult mental health service. But they made it so the appointments I had to go to them once a week. So the whole week I'd have anxiety about going to this appointment that I didn't want to go to. I've never liked talking therapy. It's not something that I particularly enjoy or I find it helpful, but they insisted on it. You should be sitting there with a bag or a bucket mm. vomiting into it while trying to do this. It was not helpful at all. No. And I'd have to get a cab there and back. And they also put me on um, Sertulin, mm-hmm. which, yeah, I've had before, so I wasn't bothered about that. But because I had to swallow the pills, it was hard as well. So, like, swallowing my own spit was really difficult, let alone four pills of three different anti-sickness meds plus sertraline. I had, I think I had folic acid and vitamins as well that I had to take and it was really difficult. A couple of times they managed to put it in a drip for me, but they refused to do it very much. So, I mean, I just can't think of a good reason why that would be, but there you go. That sometimes doctors make these decisions, don't they? That don't seem to be all that helpful at the time. So you did get, so it sounds like you did get some support for your sort of mental health, but it wasn't necessarily beneficial at the time or the delivery method wasn't that useful which is really hard yeah so do you feel that that your autism affected your experience of pregnancy and your experience of high premises and what talk to us about what that was like I would say that it impacted the way people understood her and they didn't make the right effort to understand her yeah because um obviously my mum and everyone knew knows me because my um my brothers were a really good support while I was there and so they obviously live with me and know me but the midwives like every because they're on shifts as well I'd get used to one and then they'd go and then they'd be like yeah I'll see you in a few days and I'd be like what oh what do you mean and it really confused me and I oh, I don't even know how many midwives I had, probably about 50 to be honest. Yeah. And easily. it was having to get used to all different faces, all different names, all different ways of doing things. Some of them were really nice, some of them weren't. And then when I had the ones that weren't nice, it was make me really anxious because mm. not nice and I was on my own yeah. in hospital. But I think me being autistic, it, it changed it. I don't think it like badly impacted it. I don't. I think whether I was neurotypical or not, it would have still been as awful as it was. Mm. The um the autism added sensory aspects to it, which made yes. it really difficult. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Because I know that sensory issues affect women with hypermesis even without existing sensory issues so the kind of heightened sense of smell sensitivity to light and sound tell us what your experience was so so, um a few times not a few times many times we have a cupboard upstairs and it's just big enough to lay in so i'd lay in there because it was dark it was it was cool i was pregnant during summer as well so it was really really hot I could barely brush my hair and because I was with my depression as well I find it um, hard sometimes to just do everyday tasks so things like brushing my hair my hair would get really matted my hair is naturally very curly as well so it was really hard to manage and even just putting it up in a bun would make me feel sick 
when I was, like, I'd have to sleep with no clothes on when I was here. Obviously not in hospital, I'm not allowed to do that. But <laughs> with the fan directly on me because I was so hot and I couldn't handle the smell of my own sweat even. So it was just, all of my senses were going crazy. Even when my mum was, like, cooking dinner, we live in a three-floor house. So I'd be at the, in the top floor in my room and I could still smell it. And I'd be mm. like, mum, you, you just got to stop. Stop. <laughs> yeah, but obviously where there's so many people in our house, um, adults as well, who cook their own food. So there'd be like three or four different smells going on. Someone would like want to play music or an argument would happen. So it was really difficult. It sounds a bit like a sensory bombardment. Yeah. Time when all you wanted was to just be like in a sort of cocoon of cool darkness. Yeah. And you had all of these kind of influences, which must have just been so hard. Because I know that feeling of if there's a loud noise, I'm going to be sick. That's yeah. just, that's Sometimes just how it, it was a nice dis- um, distraction. Like yeah. uh, the third day when I'd be um, allowed to leave the hospital, I'd come home. And I'd sit down and it'd be nice to have people I knew around me. And then the night time would come and then I'd feel sick. And then the morning would come and I'd it'd just all start again. And then I'd slowly decline until mm-hmm. I'd have to go back in. So It just sounds like it was managed in a really bizarre way that there wasn't sort of a plan in place to say, you know, let's really get this under control before we let you go home. We'll just sort of do yeah. the minimum and then send you away again. Yeah, they literally give, just gave me meds and I was like, but I can't really take these because I can't keep them down. And they'd be like, well, we'll just see you soon then, I guess. So... Right. You know, it's really disappointing to hear that because the medications oh. you can get in all different forms. We're... I didn't actually know that. I did no. actually ask if I had it in liquid, didn't I? Yeah, because swallowing pills would make her hear. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, and they are. They're all available in different forms. You know, they're all. They should all be available all the time for yeah. anybody who's struggling with tablets. And it's so disappointing to hear that you were just kind of handed tablets and told, you know. And it's like, well, obviously you're going to be back because yeah. you can't take the tablets. We literally tried everything to get me to eat stuff as well, like ice lollies. We bought um, this cup and you pour drink into it and then you squeeze it and it makes yeah. it like a slushy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we tried. We tried everything. We, we tried, tried freezing eat. yogurt, freezing, you know, little bits of fruit, anything that she could have. Stomach. Yeah. yeah even yeah. a teaspoon of food and I'd be like yay yay and yeah I love three stones but she was so weak that I'd have to help her into the shower and and help her and you know and and everything and it was very badly managed so is there anything that you think could have been done to make it better like like the first thing that comes to mind is that you know kind of continuity of care would have been really useful so that you knew who you were talking to and they knew you so that you don't have to kind of rehash the same description of symptoms and try and persuade all of these other people that you were so ill yeah definitely I think it took it it took months for them to finally look at my notes and be like oh you're here for this oh okay well we need to do this then and then even then sometimes they wouldn't really believe me they'd be like "Mm, really and I'd be like oh yeah (laughs) oh like help me and um yeah it was really really difficult like I'm only five foot two and I weighed about 10 stone when I got pregnant and then I quickly dropped to about seven stone and that's where I stayed like um my mum would buy me pajamas and they'd literally hang off me and security guards would see me in the maternity bit and be like oh you had your baby and I'd be like no because my bump was so small 
and he was so small. Yeah, it was hard because you see these women coming in ready to have their babies and they had like big bellies and they were all smiling and I'd be like, no. No, just no. It's just not like that for everyone, is it? And so what do you think, what what would you like to see change in terms of the, the health care that pregnant women receive, particularly neurodiverse women, but, you know, anyone who's experiencing high premises? Yeah, just in general, should know what high premises is. A lot of them didn't even know what it was. And they were just like, oh, so that's like morning sickness. And I was like, no, no, my friend, it's not. <laughs> it's way worse than that. It's like a million times worse than that. And that's not putting down any women who do have morning sickness. It's, it's horrendous it is but high premises is like never level yeah it's it's sickness but i would be a sick up to 40 50 times a day like it's terrible i yeah so i think they just need to be more aware of it and just because i find things hard to articulate um i shouldn't be um looked at differently and i shouldn't be treated like i don't understand because I had a mental breakdown as well, but even then I still understood what was happening. I just couldn't show that I understood. She had that in the middle of A&E. And I do believe that it was triggered by, she was made to sit in a chair. There was rows of chairs with high backs and they had all these patients sitting in these chairs. And And there were beds, but she was not allowed to access one for approximately four hours. She set up with about six other people. She ended up on the floor crawling, screaming that she couldn't be there anymore. So they eventually decided to move her to a bed with other people in the world that weren't pregnant who were complaining about the noise that she was making. It was absolutely disgusting. And I will say that I think the care for high premises has changed a lot because when I was pregnant with Cody, I was sick right the way through. But for the last four weeks, it got really bad and it was then that I was diagnosed with high premises and I was taken into hospital and they wanted me to actually stay in for the four weeks. But I had three other children at home. So I would feel better, you know, be in there for three days or so, feel better, come home. And they'd say to me, if you're sick more than 10 times, come back in. And I'd stretch it to 15 times because I didn't want to go back. And then I'd end up going in for three, four days and then coming back out again. So I probably went in, I'd say probably about eight, nine times. But the thing is, they wanted me to stay in. They were not saying, right, you need to leave now. Here's a bag of medication like they were with Cody. It's like you're on a rotation belt. Like, right, get them in, get them out, get them in, get them out. We need the beds. And that's how it felt a lot of the time for medication was horrible as well because I knew that I wouldn't really be able to take it but it was weird because I'd be really excited to go home and I'd feel a bit better because I had been in for three days but then at the same time I knew that I'd just be coming back and it would just be worse it just sounds like a relentless uh, sort of conveyor belt system that you just were stepping onto constantly and being kicked out again and then stepping back onto it again and it doesn't sound like care it sounds like I don't know what it sounds like it just sounds awful I'm so sorry you had that experience because it sounds absolutely miserable and incredibly lonely I luckily I found um I found you guys and I found a high premises group on Facebook as well so it was helpful that I knew that there were women out there who experienced it but I didn't know any personally at the same time as me like there were other girls who were pregnant and they were like oh baby shower I never had a baby shower I think I went clothes shopping for him you missed out on all the happy bits it was sad 
Emma, what was it like for you as Katie's mum to support her and to see her going through all of this? Really hard, really hard. You know, she lost so much weight and she got so ill and I'd be up there every, she'd phone me seven o'clock in the morning crying because she'd either, you know, be missing us or nurses or the midwives weren't very nice, you know, and she, she had to have a strawberry vulvic water. That was one of the few things that she'd managed to sip and keep down for a short time, and she craved the taste of it. So I'd be up, and as she said, her brothers were a lifeline because, you know, they're a bit older than her, so I'd say to them, can you have the younger two? And I'd run up to the hospital with strawberry vulvic water, help her have a wash, you know, bring her clean pyjamas, take her dirty washing away, put her in the wheelchair, get her down to the shop to get her off the ward for a little while. The attitude of... The majority of the midwives and nurses was disgusting. It was, and the amount of complaints I had to put in. And um, it, it was very hard. You know, it was very hard. She, she was too weak to stand most days. As I said, to wash and to, to even, you know, to take her to the cafeteria, you know, which probably sounds like a terrible idea because of the smells and everything. But she'd want to be there just to have like a, a smoothie or something so she could taste something. She knew she'd bring it up, but she wanted that normality of being around other people at least for half an hour. The one thing that they did do that was quite good is they gave me um, like meal replacement drinks. So they were they were like milkshakes, yeah. and um, they they condensed them even more, so they were only like this big. So I'd be able to sip on it and get some nutrients and feel sort of full, I guess as full as I could be in that situation. But it sounds like it was really hard for you, Emma, because you were watching your baby go through something so awful that you had some awareness of, and you just felt like they weren't they weren't caring for her the way no, they should they have done. Yeah, no, they didn't. So do you feel now, Cody, that you have any kind of lasting, Im- that hyperemesis has had a lasting impact oh, on yeah, you? Oh, yeah, I definitely have PTSD from it, absolutely. Okay. Um, it took me months to be able to have a bath without, like, freaking out even now when I eat if I eat and I feel like a bit sick I'm like oh my god like getting in cabs is really difficult because they transported me to and from the hospital my one of my favorite foods is uh green apples and I ate I had one bite when I was pregnant and I still can't really eat them now two years later even things like smells some smells I can't really handle because they triggered me then so it's just plus it's just whenever I see you know happy glowing pregnant women it it just hurts because I'm like mine was my experience was not that at all like I'm I'm happy they're happy and they're healthy but I wasn't and it's just finding out he was a boy was one of the happiest things about my pregnancy because he wouldn't have to experience it if he ever had a child that makes a lot of sense actually yeah. i have two i have two girls so yeah. you know the thought of them going through it is not a happy one but i wonder whether you i know he's only two and it's it's still very raw but i wonder whether you have thought about whether you would be able to go through it again or whether that's it you know you're going to stick with one i have like, been considering it it's just if i were to do it again i need to do it properly just talking with other women who have gone or are going through it as well so with that extra support consultants who actually know what they're doing um, and it sounds like if you were to go through 
another pregnancy you want to be prepared you want to have a plan rather than it being this surprise which it was the first time and it is for for most of us yeah but there are ways of planning so that you can prepare for eventualities like you can have a consultant that knows the high premises and knows what they're talking about you can have a plan of which medications work last time and that kind of thing yeah and have the support in place rather than kind of flying through it by the seat of your pants which is what you had to go through because there wasn't a plan because nobody thought to make one for you good thing well not the only one of the only good things that came out of um my pregnancy is that i know what works for my body and what doesn't yeah so and i know that i'm just i just i just know the process now so i know that i would have to go to a and e and i know that i would have to sit there and i'd know that i'd have to go through triage and whatever before i didn't know it was literally um i'm puking what do i do Oh, go to A and E because hopefully someone will see you straight away. And I wasn't a priority then. Um, I think a plan would empower her a lot because being autistic, a lot of it is about control and knowing what's going to happen next. And so, Cody, what, where do you see yourself kind of now and and kind of going forward? Because obviously, you're doing an amazing job of raising awareness of suffering with high premises and and suffering with high premises as an autistic woman. So, how do you how do you see your role? Where do you see yourself going? Well, um, I tr- I'm trying to make as many um, videos on my Green Streak page and YouTube channel as I can. But obviously, like I said earlier, I I am diagnosed with anxiety and depression, so sometimes getting the motivation to do it is really difficult and then obviously not doing it makes me feel quite bad but then at the same time that's the great thing about doing these videos I can do them when I want and when I feel capable to do them and the um, high premises video had over 11,000 views in the end brilliant wow. in a really quite short time wasn't yeah. it so, and she got so many women saying you know this was me yeah um Fantastic. thank you for making this video yeah, yeah. So, i'm continuing doing uh videos when i can um i'm also set to start uni in september Ooh, what so are you studying criminology and criminal psychology wow amazing yeah, so that sounds that. awesome yeah um, and work. i do work i um have a part-time job at um yeah it's uh it's a center um it's where i went i finished my secondary education mm-hmm. the last three years of it it's for kids who have behavioral needs mm-hmm. or um autistic kids adhd dyslexic you know all the yeah. kids mainstream can't accommodate for yeah. so that's where I work and I absolutely love it it's just great it's so strange because obviously I was a student and now I'm a teacher and they call me miss and I'm like I get my really um, like amazing to be able to use your experience to help other young people yeah, now definitely Fantastic. Oh, it sounds like you are very busy yeah. a lot going yeah. on and you're out there just changing the world which is amazing Thank you. So are you guys, you guys, what you do is so important and uh, the amount of women you've helped, I don't even, I don't even think I could count. So well done you guys. Thank you for listening to the Pregnancy Sickness Support Podcast. Everything you need to know about pregnancy sickness and hyperemesis gravidarum. For more information and support, please visit our website www.pregnancysicknesssupport.org.uk.